All right, we need to lighten the mood a little bit, I think, on today's program. And, and, and one thing we used, I guess it was last week or the week before, to add a little comedy relief. Fortunately, we can add to today. We reported a couple weeks back that Jerry Falwell Jr. at uh, Virginia's Liberty University was in a little bit of trouble because apparently, among other things, he loaned a pool boy they met at the Fountain Blue Hotel in Miami uh, something like a million and a half dollars. We speculated there was more to the story. And wouldn't you know it, (laughs) it's now being reported that Jerry Falwell Jr. resigned this week after a former pool boy claimed to have had a seven-year sexual relationship with the evangelical leader and his wife. Giancarlo Granda, age 29, said he met the Falwells at the Fontainebleau, Miami, in March 2012, and over the ensuing years, he repeatedly had sex with Becky Falwell, 53, in hotels in New York and Miami, and the couple's home in Virginia while Jerry watched. The Falwells say that Becky did have an affair with Granda, but deny that her husband participated. Well, if watching is participating, I guess it is. Michael Cohn, President Trump's former lawyer, suggested that Granda had blackmailed Falwell and that Cohn had been called in to ensure that photos were not released to the public. Falwell had already been suspended by Liberty after photos emerged of him posing next to a woman with his pants unzipped aboard a yacht owned by NASCAR mogul Rick Hendrick. It's not all bad for Falwell. He does get $10.5 million in severance pay, which frankly should allow him to go back to the Fountain Blue Hotel and maybe find a new pool boy. Now, back in 2016, Jerry Falwell Jr. was one of Donald Trump's major supporters in the evangelical Christian community and is just another example of the kind of people who have been attracted to and have surrounded Trump since he announced his candidacy. We got a laugh four years ago when it seemed to the Republican National Convention that most of the people who were speaking were named Trump. Well, The Economist notes that four years on, meaning now it turns out that, well, half of this week's RNC headliners were named Trump, including the president's four adult children, his wife, and daughter-in-law. The Economist notes that in place of Mike Flynn and Chris Collins, two prominent cheerleaders since convicted of crimes, Mr. Trump employed attack dogs such as Congressman Matt Gates, a Floridian mini-Trump who warned viewers that Democrats will disarm you, empty the prisons, lock you in your home, and invite MS-13 to live next door. Standing in for Jerry Falwell Jr. this time, Trump had members of Billy Graham's family laud him as a fierce advocate of faith. And we all know him to be that, don't we? Notes Lexington in The Economist when he declared in Cleveland four years ago that America was half destroyed and I alone can fix it. Even many Republicans were confused. Less than half had voted for him in their presidential primaries, but now almost all approve of him, many reverently, as the personality cult he launched in Ohio has subsumed the Republican Party. Instead of unveiling a policy platform, as is customary, the Republican National Committee set independent thought aside and resolved, quote, to support the president's America First agenda, unquote. And yes, while it's true that the platforms that both parties put out uh, tend to be a lot of uh, political claptrap and nonsense, it is striking that this year, in 2020, the Republican National Committee decided to simply dispense with one and give Donald Trump, and whatever his policies may be, a blanket endorsement. 
Lexington and The Economist notes that fact-checkers identified more lies in the Republican convention's first night than throughout last week's Democratic convention. Noting that in the midst of the worst plague in a century, the worst social unrest in decades, and one of the worst economic crises in the country's history, three in four Republicans claim to believe America is in better shape now than it was four years ago. To which he added, the Republican Party is not the only institution that has failed to check Donald Trump. The media has also succumbed. Conservative outlets have embraced his alternative facts. Left-leaning ones have uncovered them, yet their increasingly frenzied opposition to the president has fed the, gre- has fed the grievance culture that insulates his supporters from reality. It is amazing that the Republicans held the convention and treated the COVID-19 pandemic as if it was behind us. And we sure do need to talk about QAnon on this program, but I don't think I have the heart right at the moment. But let's continue to talk about the weasels and sycophants that surround Donald Trump, handpicked by him, of course, and take a look at Stephen Miller. A large excerpt was printed in The Week magazine, which was adapted from the book Hatemonger, Stephen Miller, Donald Trump, and the White Nationalist Agenda by Gene Guerrero. We need to talk about Stephen Miller. Stephen Miller is currently a senior policy advisor to Donald Trump and an ally of Dr. Scott Atlas. I'm intrigued by a little anecdote, which is mentioned in this piece, going back to Stephen Miller's junior year at Santa Monica High School. He ran for the position of student announcer, which we didn't have at my high school, so I don't know what that is, but uh, they had one in Santa Monica. He ran for it, went up, took a microphone and said, Hi, I'm Stephen Miller. He said, I'm the only candidate who really stands out. I will say and do things that no one else in the right mind would say or do. His face reddening with emotion, his voice rising to a shout, he said, Am I the only one who is sick and tired of being told to pick up my trash when we have plenty of janitors who are paid to do it for us? These schools have thousands of students and about 10 custodians, mostly people of color. Students erupted in a roar of disapproval. Reportedly, Student Assembly President Colleen Armstrong Yamamura was worried the students were about to riot. She said, I just remember the crowd at that point was kind of going nuts. We had very volatile racial relations, she said. She thought Miller's comments were classist and racist. She added, I can't remember if somebody threw things at him, but I felt it was on the brink of getting there. She told him his time was up. You need to get down, she said. But he kept talking, relishing the moment. So I took him physically and I pushed him off the stage. When he showed up at Duke University two years later during a get-together of students, he said, Hi, I'm Stephen Miller. I'm from Santa Monica, California, and I like guns. His spectators chuckled, unsure if he was joking. After he sat down, the introductions continued, but Miller had made an impression. He now had a new nickname, Guns. His dorm mates called him Stephen Guns Miller. And as dorm residents at Duke gathered on a, to a first-floor common room for pizza, salad, and refreshments, Guns Miller further distinguished himself. As students were getting to know each other during their first chapter away from home, Miller threw his plate away, missed the trash can, causing leftovers to spill onto the floor. He walked away. A classmate asked, are you going to pick that up? Miller replied, what hell hole are you from? We have people here for that. Another recalls having lunch with him at the cafeteria. Every now and then, Miller would leave his tray on the table saying it wasn't his responsibility to clean it up. One classmate recalls that he tossed his tray onto the ground saying, there are people here paid to clean it up. 
you know, I know these these anecdotes sound a little petty and maybe a little bit catty, but I, th- I think, you know, I think they really are a good illustration of the kind of person we're dealing with. Do you know anyone, dear listener, who's behaved like this? Apparently, a few weeks into his freshman year, the graduate assistant in charge of the dorm put a temporary lockdown on the common room because students were leaving it so messy. The dorm manager taped up a piece of paper letting students know that the custodial staff was not there to enable their filthy lifestyles. It encouraged them to pick up after themselves like grown-ups. Stephen Miller taped up a typed two-page reply, protesting the punishment. A classmate said it described cleanliness as a fine personal virtue, but ultimately it's the responsibility of the janitorial staff to ensure that it's clean. And it's too bad that $40,000 a year doesn't make sure that people understand that. The piece notes that people belittled Miller all of his life for such views. They derided him as he stood on stage demanding that custodians of color pick up his trash. They called him a racist. They called him a classist. They questioned him. But the moment came when Stephen Miller saw candidate Donald Trump saying, when Mexico sends its people, they're not sending us their best. They're not sending you. They're not sending you. They're sending people who have lots of problems. They're bringing those problems with them. They're bringing drugs. They're bringing crime. They're rapists. And some, I assume, are good people. Watching Trump say such things, Miller felt a jolt of electricity, telling the Washington Post, it was as though everything that I felt at the deepest levels of my heart were now being expressed by a candidate for our nation's highest office. Trump's comments, of course, were widely perceived as racist, duh, but he refused to apologize for them. He told CNN's Don Lemon, well, somebody's doing the raping. And as it went along, Steve Bannon, who was Stephen Miller's mentor and chief of the increasingly popular Breitbart News, focused in on the kind of things that Senator Jeff Sessions and his assistant Stephen Miller had been talking about. The trio plotted a populist national insurgency. Trade and immigration would dominate uh, Trump's marketing of self. And so it happened that Stephen Miller finally got aboard the Trump train. It is he who put together an immigration plan for Donald Trump. And so it is that the guy who applauds Donald Trump's characterization of Mexicans as rapists is the go-to guy for immigration policy under Donald Trump, a senior policy advisor. It is nice to pause a moment and note that not all Republicans endorse Donald Trump. This week, Joe Biden received the endorsements of Senator Jeff Flake, Senator Gordon Humphrey, and Senator John Warner. Well, former Senator John Warner. The list I have also lists 24 congressmen endorsing Joe Biden, although it's not clear how many are currently in Congress. And Donald Trump did not exactly receive a ringing endorsement from his older sister, Marianne Trump Barry. As we mentioned in passing previously in a secretly recorded conversation with her niece, Mary, Trump's older sis said the Donald has no principles and is a habitual liar who doesn't read. All he wants to do is appeal to his base, he was recorded saying in 2018. His goddamn tweeting, his lack of preparation, the lying. Holy crap. Mary Trump revealed those recordings to back up her book's claim that Donald paid someone to take his SAT exam. An allegation that she got from Marianne Trump Barry. Trump's campaign advisor, Jason Miller, blamed his sister's comments on sibling rivalry. And Trump himself, well, it doesn't appear that he's getting any better. Writing on his Facebook page, David Talbot noted that in a rambling and bizarre interview with Fox's, he describes as Wicked Witch of the East, Laura Ingraham, Donald Trump claimed there was a plane, quote, almost completely loaded with thugs, unquote, 
in black uniforms who plan to disrupt his Wagnerian nomination ceremony at the White House. He also asserted that Joe Biden is, quote, controlled by people you never heard of that are in the dark shadows, end quote. And he launched into a crazy riff about Black Lives Matter, calling it a Marxist organization, adding, you remember pigs in a blanket, fry them like bacon? Said Talbot, well, no, actually, this is the first time we've heard that strange chant associated with BLM protesters. He added that Trump, especially his unhinged, unscripted rants on Fox News, could be a source of much-needed comedy relief during the COVID crisis. But when you realize that this law and order hysteria is his only primary, his only campaign theme, it will be his main domestic program if he wins another four years. Notes David Talbot, alarmingly Chad Wolf, the sawed-off Himmler, who runs the Department of Homeland Security, recently revealed on Fox News, of course, that he has discussed arresting Black Lives Matter leaders with Attorney General Bill Barr. Notes Talbot, here is Trump's far right hand, his main instrument of repression, now threatening to put movement leaders behind Bill Barr's bars. Talbot refers to Operation Chaos and how it worked for Richard Nixon. He won a narrow election in 1968. And though we don't have time today to outline Richard Nixon's Operation Chaos, I would just cite one example of the kind of things that were done years ago during the Nixon administration, which was a PR effort to counter anti-war protests. Bob Haldeman, working for Richard Nixon, went out and hired a bunch of actors to put on hard hats and pretend that they were construction workers, after which they attacked anti-war protesters. The media reported it as outraged construction workers who were loyal to the Nixon agenda, just getting fed up with these anti-war protesting pinko commies and just couldn't resist physically assaulting them. Well, we're now seeing case after case in the U.S. of agent provocateurs inducing violence amid protests, and in some cases getting armed and driving up to the protests to see if they, you know, might need to shoot a few of them, which clearly in some cases has happened. Anyway, we here at Radio Parallax shudder at the prospect of four more years of an ignorant man with psychopathic tendencies who's showing signs of dementia being the leader of the free world. This might be a good time to pause and reach out to someone who is trying to do something about it. And setting an example, we think that many of you may wish to follow. Well, returning to the program at this juncture after a long hiatus is a labor attorney and activist, Nancy Yamada, who's doing some things we are interested in and we think you'll be interested in. So first off, welcome back, Nancy. Thank you, Doug. Uh, this election is, is on a lot of people's minds, and you are out there trying to do what people do to try and make sure that uh, voters vote. Tell us about it. Since last summer, I've been working with various groups who are part of a 2020 coalition Sacramento, but there's coalitions all over the country. We are trying to work to get out the vote, make sure people are registered, make sure they confirm their registration and make sure they get out to vote. I have to stop you right then and ask you, Nancy, about like everyone's talking about mail-in voting and where everyone's afraid of the COVID virus and what that could mean if you try and vote personally. Are you doing anything in regards mail-in? Yes. There's phone banking, there's texting, there's mm -hmm. letter writing and postcard writing. There is something everyone can do. There's something you can do no matter how much or how little time you have. Whatever your talents are or your comfort level, for any of these activities, 
training and instructions are provided. Okay. It is a challenging time, but it's really not difficult to pitch in. You can make some phone calls, but I know that's not people's thing sometimes. They don't feel comfortable about that. Well, there's also text banking, and you can write letters or postcards. Phone banking is important. They have things like phone banking for introverts training. <laughs> they, have, okay. they have easy phone banking for beginners. I think it's most important to whatever phone bank you're a part of that you believe in what you're doing. Okay. So if you are not thrilled about supporting a certain candidate or whatever senator's race, they have stuff so that you can help people with mail-in ballots and registering and re-registering people who have been purged from voter rolls. And that is certainly a key issue uh, in, in this election, the purging of voter rolls. Absolutely. What, okay, what, what groups should people be seeking out? I mean, you're probably you're talking about several of them here. Can you name some names people may want to follow up with? Sure. 2020 Coalition Sacramento. They are with Cluded or Indivisible, Sacramento, Auburn, Yolo, Flip the West, Reclaim Our Vote, Sister District. Sacramento Women's March, and also the Democratic Party and the Biden campaign have joined on. I would suggest going to swingleft.org. From there, you can type in your zip code, and they can plug you into a coalition or any one of these groups that are working together to get out the vote. Okay. It's really easy. Sometimes you need a block of time. I loved it pre-COVID, pre-quarantine, because we actually had a calendar. And if I had an hour of time somewhere, I could look on the calendar and find some place to show up to make a few phone calls or write a couple of letters. We don't have that luxury right now. But um, right now I'm writing postcards to Iowa and Montana. Okay. I'm getting out the vote there. And because that's easy, I can do it on my own time. I ask for a list of labels and addresses, and I buy pre-stamped postcards from the post office. And any time I have a few minutes while I'm waiting for coffee, I'll write out a couple of postcards. It doesn't take a huge block of time if you have 15 minutes a day. If you have one or two hours on the weekend or in the evening, you can text bank or phone bank. Nancy, if you can turn Montana blue, I'll buy you dinner. <laughs> but, but, but I, but <laughs> Working I, on it. But Working I know, I know it. that Iowa is, uh, is certainly a potential uh, pickup for Biden. Yes, and not only that, is to flip the Senate blue also. Ah, in that state, I think it's a, a ah, 3% margin right now. Okay. It's not only that we cannot survive another four years of Trump, You know, Trump just represents what's wrong with this country. But we also have to maintain the House, retain Democratic control, and flip the Senate. And Mitch McConnell, that will be tough, but it is doable. If he's minority leader, not majority leader, that would be a big help. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Those are the, the people who are propping Trump up, and I don't know what the problem is. They're afraid to tell the emperor he has no clothes. There is something everybody can do, and it's coming down to the wire. And I've gotten a lot of people involved with, you know, who are not as comfortable with, um, you know, doing phone banks. But let me tell you, it it is easy. It's not like they just throw you out there. You get training. You get a script. Same with the texting. Just upload an app on your phone or your computer. Computer is better or a uh, laptop. Just a bunch of clicks of a button. A lot of the times the text banks are for two hours. 
but they're finished in 45 minutes. All right. Well, we applaud your efforts. And I think what we need to do is bring you back in, say, three weeks and see how it's all going. Yes, I would uh, love to tell you that I have more and more people on board. But every time you hear somebody complain, post something on (laughs) Facebook or uh, Instagram, you know, that's not enough. Yes. We have to do something. Yes. Getting out to vote is not enough. If you, when you get out to vote, you better make sure everybody you know has also voted or is voting. All right. Let's do it. And, and, and hopefully we'll send you a flood of people who are hearing this broadcast. <laughs> okay. Swingleft.org. Find out where there are actions or activities that you can do and be engaged in. Doug, I'll be sending you um, a stack of labels to fill, for, to fill out postcards. Okay. I'll, I'll be right on it. <laughs> okay. Nancy, thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. All right. In the few minutes we have left, I'm tempted to talk about the jerk that's the Postmaster General of the United States. But I think we'll leave that for another day. I also want to talk about how Steve Bannon is apparently still under arrest after he looted apparently $1 million uh, for personal expenses from the We Build the Wall nonprofit he and a few others set up, claiming it would use the money to construct 100 miles of barrier along the U.S. southwestern border, which they didn't do. But I think what instead I'll do is go to one of our favorites on the program. The good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for microaggressions, with new research suggesting that people now in their teens and early 20s, referred to as Generation Z, find the use of periods in text messages by older people to be hostile. And about all I can think of to say to that is, good! And apparently it was a bad week last week for QAnon when a scheduled speaker at the Republican National Convention was withdrawn after it was reported she had urged her Twitter followers to read a QAnon conspiracy message claiming that Jewish bankers were screaming to make the Goyim destroy each other. Marianne Mendoza later said she had not read the whole message. And it was surely an ugly week last week for machismo after Robert O'Neill, a former Navy SEAL, who claims to have killed Osama bin Laden, tweeted a photo of himself maskless aboard a Delta flight above the caption, I am not a pussy. O'Neill was banned from future Delta flights, and when his retweet disappeared, he wrote, I didn't delete my tweet, my wife did. And yes, we apologize slightly for the use of that language, but it is language approved by the President of the United States. Something that apparently is not particularly approved of by the President of the United States is reform of America's antiquated system of energy generation and distribution. We refer you to a piece in The Atlantic magazine by Peter Fairley titled, How a Plan to Save the Power System Disappeared. The subheadline notes that a federal lab found a way to modernize the grid, reduce reliance on coal, and save consumers billions. Then, Trump appointees blocked it. The article starts by noting that Joshua Novacek, who was then a 30-year-old researcher for the U.S. National Renewable Energy Laboratory, was presenting the most important study of his career. This is two years ago. The article notes he couldn't have known it yet, but things were about to go very wrong. 
At a gathering of experts and policymakers in Lawrence, Kansas, Novacek was sharing the results of the Interconnection Seam Study, better known as SEAMS. SEAMS demonstrated that stronger connections between the U.S. power market's massive eastern and western power grids would accelerate the growth of wind and solar energy, hugely reducing America's reliance on coal, the fuel contributing the most to climate change and saving consumers billions in the process. It was an elegant solution to a complicated problem. The piece notes that a study like SEAMS was politically dangerous territory for a federally funded lab while coal industry advocates and climate change deniers reign in the White House. The Trump administration has a long history of protecting coal companies, and unfortunately for Novacek, a representative was sitting in the audience during his talk. That would be Katie Jeriza, then a Deputy Assistant Secretary in the U.S. Department of Energy Office of Electricity. She fired off an email to DOE headquarters before Novacek had even finished speaking. She raised an alarm about Seams' anti-coal findings. And that email ignited an internal firestorm. According to interviews with five current and former Department of Energy and the National Renewable Energy Laboratory, supported by 900 pages of documents and emails obtained through the Freedom of Information Act and additional documentation from energy sources, Trump officials would ultimately block seams from seeing the light of day. And in doing so, they would set back America's efforts to slow climate change. Believe it or not, America has three different power grids, one in the east, one in the west, and one to serve Texas. But only a little over one gigawatt can cross between them. For example, western grid power plants in Colorado can send bulk power a thousand miles away to California, but only a trickle across the seam to its next-door neighbor, Nebraska. This separation raises power costs and makes it hard to share growing surpluses of environmentally friendly wind and solar power. I don't have time to go through the entire article, but suffice it to say that something that by all accounts is a great idea has been deep-sixed by the coal-friendly Trump administration. This kind of crap has got to stop. Some years back, I remember reading an article about the amount of wind power which is available in the Rocky Mountain states, and it apparently is huge, a tremendous potential resource, stymied by the fact that that power cannot be sent east. Proponents of a smart grid have claimed that it is a major potential contributor to our efforts to reduce carbon emissions and fossil fuel reliance. You may find it interesting to note that the SEAMS study not only went nowhere, but its final report remains to this day unpublished. Anyway, this is the kind of stuff to keep in mind as an election looms. Noted The Guardian in its look at the Republican convention, Trump keeps on lying until his lies take on a life of their own. His biggest whopper that the COVID-19 crisis was well-managed and is now a thing of the past is demonstrably untrue. More than 3,600 Americans died during the four days of the convention alone. By November 3rd, the national toll may reach a quarter of a million. We think it'll be closer to 300,000. We'll see. This program was produced by Edward McMillan. You've been listening to Radio Parallax. Our thanks to Dr. Aaron Smith and lawyer Nancy Yamada for their contributions. We hope to bring them both back on in the future. I think that uh, this fall we need to vote like our lives depended upon it, which frankly I think they do. I'm Douglas Everett. We'll see you next week.